0: Welcome to the Kids' Corner, where we explore sensory processing, development, and play with purpose as it pertains to eating, sleeping, playing, and growing. On this podcast, we will educate you on the lesser-known topics, give practical tips and tricks to help elevate your practice, and provide resources for families and caregivers. We are your hosts... I'm Bean, the co-founder of Ryu, and a recovering paraplegic.
1: And I'm Nancy, a kinesiologist specializing in pediatrics, facilitating learning and development through movement and play therapies.
2: Welcome back, everybody. Today we are talking to Abigail Aldridge. She is from FACE in Calgary. So it's Families of Alberta for Conductive Education. So today the episode is all about Conductive Education. So just a brief history about Abigail. So she is a world traveler. So she graduated as a connective Ed Practitioner from the United Kingdom in 2008. Since then, she's worked kind of all over the world, so from London to Ireland to Mauritius, and then she moved to Canada, where she started working in Toronto until 20- 2014. She gained her permanent residency, which we are very excited to have her on board on the Canadian side of things. And so she is now in Calgary, working at FACE, and where she took over running the organization. So she's on the board of directors in 2017. Her career is much more expansive than just connective education, which is super cool to see. She's taught dance and yoga to the general public and to the special needs community, which is very cool. She's volunteered in Vietnam with No Ordinary Journey Foundation, educating medical professionals on alternative methods of handling children with cerebral palsy. In addition, she's also volunteered in Uganda and India, working with children in orphanages and foster care to assist with their development, if limited within their movement. So, super exciting. She's also got her Level 1 CME training from Ramon Sves in 2019. So, a wealth of knowledge and we're very excited to have Abigail with
3: us. So, welcome Abigail. Hello, thanks for having me. Great to be here and just basically share my passion about any type of movement really that's beneficial for people, their brain, their body. Mm -hmm. So why don't you go into a little bit more depth about yourself and who you are, what you do and how
2: you got into pediatrics?
3: Okay, well, I basically started my life off knowing I wanted to be a teacher. And, you know, I was a dancer and I kind of knew I was never good enough to be a professional dancer. You know, it's it's hard. It's competitive, but I wanted to teach dance. And when I turned 18, I invested in this, you know, intense training and I just wasn't challenged how I needed to be challenged. I feel like I was missing maybe more of a mental challenge. You know, the physical was definitely there. And so I took a break and I just needed to find what I wanted in life and At the time, I was about 18 years old, and we had a family friend who had Down syndrome, a young girl with Down syndrome, and I'd spend my time babysitting her, and she kind of tried to sell me, you must work within this field somehow, you know. And I went over to the US, and I worked a summer camp in New York State, and it was a special needs camp, and my world was changed. I knew from that point, this is what I want to do, this is where I need to be. I can use my passion of teaching in, in this, this realm. And so I started to assist a young girl with cerebral palsy in the school system. I was her, her aide in the school system. And in the UK, we, we have our you know schooling system a bit different for children with special needs. So four days a week, she went to a typical primary school. And one day a week, she went to this special school. And it just resonated with me. There was something brilliant about the way they were asking the children to move, the way they spoke to the children, the environment which they created. And I said, this is what I want to do. And by chance, I feel like I got into this profession by luck that I picked up an old brochure I'd had from, you know, my university search many years before. And I saw this degree program called Conductive Education and Reading it, it was just everything I wanted because when I was looking at teaching, there was never enough on the special education program. And I went for an interview. I walked into this classroom, this particular conductive education preschool program, and I was just at home. I just loved the way the children sat there. They all had different modalities, how they were sitting. They had just a few people helping them. There was about eight children. I loved the way they were talking to the children. And, you know, I'd gone all that way. And then they told me, oh, sorry, you know, it's full, you're gonna have to wait another year, we're not taking any more students. And at the time, I wasn't sure if I was ready to wait. And then they, they called me back about a week later and said, you know what, we've decided to take you either way, we'll make room. And little did I know that that one school I was going to once a week, that was a conductive education school. So it kind of all aligned. And so I started that course. And Our training there is it's a three year degree program. And that's what I did. I continued up with my love for movement, dancing and learning yoga at the time. And I qualified. And my first job, I went to Mauritius. And uh, I got that job from one of my mentors actually at university. And Loved living on a tropical island, but you know, I have a, a partner uh, alongside me, and you know, he was ready for new beginnings, and uh, we have a very small professional body the Conductive Education Professionals. And so there was one website. I applied for a job in Norway. I applied for a job in Canada. And by chance, that job in Canada, it passed the deadline, but I thought I'd send my resume anyway. And they said, well, thank you, because we just didn't fill the spot until you came along. So over I came. I've I've been here. I was in Toronto for four years, working for a large organization called March of Dimes Canada. And then I moved to Calgary, Once I saw the beautiful Rocky Mountains, that was my new path. And I've always continued to do training. I always look to go above and beyond. I I see what our children need and then I, I seek out the training. So I've done... And intense pod training. I've um, done courses in cortical vision impairment. I was very fascinated by the CME, Quarvas Medic Exercise Program. And so I was lucky enough to be accepted to work alongside Ramon there. And I've done that alongside kind of my travels and volunteering and kind of just using my knowledge in some third world countries as well to offer some, some hope to families out there. Yeah, that's
2: amazing. And I mean, I love that you're going to what the kids need. And that I think just really speaks to a very good therapist, regardless of your background and where you come from. That just speaks volumes.
3: Yeah, and I think it's also just the way our our world is going as well. You know, we're always encouraged to continue to learn more. And I love that. My brain is never satisfied. Right? And this is what I have to think about the children in which we work and the adults in which we work, that there's always capacity for learning. And if we just think that we're done, our passion will never be passed on to, to anyone as well. So, you know, a big part of what I do now as well, running the organization is, you know, I I have to bring on a young, enthusiastic team of future medical professionals. At FACE, we higher assistance and aids to support the children in our program. And we'll explain more about that, you know, as we talk about conductive education. But, you know, I have a 17 year old who on the first day of his job interview told me I want to be a doctor. And so I want to know how to have empathy to work with families. And I want to know just how children respond and their brains work and things like that so part of my job now is to work with him and show him show him the potential the human potential and um, help him learn to analyze beyond just the black and white what he might read in the future of his job you know
2: mm-hmm. yeah I mean it's all about really thinking outside the box and like you say never stop learning
3: yes yes for sure
2: all right so why don't we dive into more about
3: face So, what is FACE basically? Can you tell us more about the organization? Okay, so, well, FACE has actually been around way before I was in Canada. So, I think the late 1990s, early 2000s. And what was happening, there was a group of families, hence why we got our name, that brought over a group of conductors from Hungary which is where conductive education originates from, and they would work summer camps. And so during that time, those conductors would work with the families to teach the methods and teach specific, maybe alternative, back in the day, we would see it as alternative ways to move. And it continued to happen like that. And then eventually, they said, let's get some of these conductors over here to work on a a full-time basis with our kids. And at the time it was actually called Parents of Alberta for Conductive Education. And it was, you know, working with the preschool age. And then kind of what started to happen was those children graduate, they leave preschool. And What's then next for these other children? So there continued to be preschool programming, but, you know, another group of families then created FACE, which took away the parent and replaced it with families. And they focused on after-school programming and that summer camp component and weekends, because unfortunately, when else do our children get chance to participate in therapy, right? So they created a very different program and started to serve more of an older population. And so even right now, we do take children from a very, very young age, but FACE really gets busy with children ages six and above. And even as we've developed, we started off renting church halls. And then back in 2017, we managed to gain our own physical space and with that we've seen rapid growth of our program and we work across the age range and uh, we even have a young adult program because you know learning never stops there therapy shouldn't stop again, those little kids that would once 2 they're now 26. And that's how long some of these families have been part of conductive education. It's been part of their life and their physical exercise every week, you know, is, is always been through face. And yeah, we tend to be busier in the summer. Of course, summer camps are always the most intense time that we can see most children. And we're very lucky at Face because we've been around for so long. The go- the government of Alberta does have a, a good funding program that families that have children with disabilities can access, and they can use some of those funds to attend our program, which has been brilliant. It's been a great acknowledgement and. What that means is we have a combined program of the children attending our group program here at FACE and then going home and to their home and working with the parent and training the parent how to integrate, you know, our our methodologies and moving and handling at home as well. And it's really important following surgeries and things like that. Sometimes these children have surgeries and then no one's actually telling them how to you know, facilitate and move their child at this stage, because their child was used to doing it one way. Now it's completely different because their body changed. So that's a, a big part of our program as well is that transitional program into the home for those families who require it. So yeah, we kind of delve into a little bit of everything, pediatrics, adults, summer camps, after-school therapy, preschool program. We've got a mum and tot program. And just this year, we had to make the decision to run our program seven days a week just so we could make space for everybody. So we have three conductors who specialize in our program, which is, is quite a big number. Across the world, you might only have one conductor doing it all by themselves. So I'm very lucky to have two other professionals who work extremely hard to deliver a good program for our kids
2: that's amazing it sounds like face has grown so much over the last well two two decades but that's awesome to see that you're not limited by age and you're really expanding to meet the needs of those in the community around you guys
3: yes yeah we're trying and 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 I think with everything every every therapy needs to evolve you know if Mm -hmm. if the physical capacity to do that
2: hundred percent. So why don't we dive into what is conductive education and where did it come from and that whole background story?
3: I, I listened to some of the podcasts prior to this and I always remember that ABM one and she said I can never say it in one sentence and it's true. Choose to work in what's, what is often known as an alternative therapy. So sometimes people look into our program and say you know it's more OT based, and we're working on more OT based goals. And other people will look into our program and say, no, it's more PT based, and we're working more on PT goals. And how I like to describe it is we create an environment in which we can integrate all physical, occupational, and social goals of a child or an individual. So I have to remember that we're not just working with children, but We create an environment and community in which they can apply the skills that they need to learn, want to learn, or are currently trying to learn in another therapy as well. So, you know, we we work with... Physios from the AHS, they often give us a call and they say, You know, I have this kid who I think can use this walker, but I don't have the capacity to work with this child as hands on as you guys. Can you integrate it? And so, you know, I, when that child comes every three hours, I find opportunity to integrate this particular walking technique and just apply it. And we have a very high staff ratio, which we can do that now looking at conductive education one of our heavy components is the group and that that sometimes what stands out as different from other therapies is we always whenever possible, prefer to work in a group. And I can talk a little bit more about, you know, those components of conductive ed, but I'll go into the history first. And it all originated with one man named Andras Petto, and he was a Hungarian psychologist doctor and way back in the 1950s, early 60s. And so sometimes you might hear about conductive education being referred to as the Petto method. And back in the day in Hungary children could only go to school if they could walk. And so Peto recognized there was a group of highly intelligent children who were not able to access the education system based on a physical limitation. Most of those children had athetoid type CP. And so relatively high motivation and cognition, but again, um, struggled with balance and learned to walk. So Peto just took it upon himself to take a group of uh, children and created these particular techniques. A bit about him was that he, you know, was a musician, powerful, interested in music. His dad had Parkinson's. And as I say, he was interested a lot in the educational psychology aspect. And that's often why we're referred to as conductive education versus conductive therapy. And he basically created a system using very specific basic furniture, And he used the essence of rhythm very powerfully as he spoke and directed the group. And when we talk about the the phrase conductor, when I tell people, you know, I'm a conductor, they often think of a musical conductor. And I always say Peto was like a conductor, a musical conductor, because what he did is he took a group of children, all with one common goal, but they all needed to achieve it differently. Like every child has their own unique learning style and every child will have their own unique journey. And so he was able to bring all those children together and achieve something together alongside teaching them all how to do it in a different way, just like a conductor of a An orchestra may point to the piano, point to the flute, point to... There is one common piece bringing it together, but they all achieve it differently. So he used his techniques and continued to teach that. He had one main student, Maria Hari, and she went on and created with him the university program. And then in the 1990s, the UK created a program as well. They sent over some uh, teachers and they qualified as conductors and they came back and they created also a university program in the UK. So most therapists who specialize in conductive education receive their training from either the UK or in Hungary and Hungary being the primary place where people graduate. And there is also a very small program down in the US and Michigan, which also people become qualified conductors. Most conductors also supplement their profession with an education degree and that's because in the UK in particular a lot of our therapy is done alongside the school system so we integrate movement whenever possible alongside the academic learning and again that's why that education name creeps in versus conductive therapy yeah it's just a very kind of holistic program it's hard to nail all those essential components, but the main components are that rhythm. We create internal rhythm by speaking out loud and speaking in particular tone to create the internal rhythm to make it conscious movement for the individual. So for example, we direct our speech commonly in first person, because I want the child to think I move my hand, I lift it up. And the way I even say the task would have a very specific oomph and lift, or it would lower in tone, depending on what I'm trying to have the child achieve. And then we also implement song and music whenever possible, because people have an internal rhythm in their body. You and I do, you know, everyone knows if I'm walking down the hallway, because I'm walking really fast on my tiptoes and running, 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 whereas more people in general have a slower modality to their life. And so when someone has damage to the nervous system, they can be missing those steps. And so, just like when you're learning to drive, you know, you have to change lane on the highway and you say mirror signal maneuver to yourself several times until it becomes an unconscious action. And so we use rhythm like that. And then the essence of the group is really important. It gives everybody in that room a job it could turn some people into role models some people into mentors and um, it gives those children who need to follow each other they can use the power of play more effectively use the power of competition and then I obviously don't need to discuss like the power of singing that's done in a group there's a lot of discussion on that you know that When people sing together, it creates a different synapsis in the brain. And so when we do that, we make connections as well in a different way. And then in particular, what Petto did is he created a series of tasks which the children would learn to master. So versus some programs where you will arrive and every single day is different. We often have what looks like a similar program. We do offer variety because variety is important. But what's important is the child learns to build up and, and learn to Master certain skills. And the series of tasks are always done in multiple positions. So we always believe that we do some in lying, some in sitting, some in standing, because you can do the same action in all three positions. And you may be nervous to first try it in standing. So we maybe ask you to put your foot flat in lying. And then we explain how that translates to your balance in sitting and your uh, manipulation and standing. So Everything builds up very particularly and we use scaffolding, you know, we break down the task, help them to achieve and we build up the task in order to do that. So there's those particular techniques as well, which we like to use. And then the most common one people assume is just the furniture. So conductive education is famous for the wooden ladders and the slatted wooden tables. And the reason we use that, well, I believe back in the day that was all Petto could use because it was the 1950s and he had to make it all himself. But part of that is it's very simple, very simple furniture because our goal is we're not changing the environment. Our goal is for the person to learn to function in a as many environments as possible. So, what are the small tools which you need? Right, you hold it here. This is where you need to do, and you, you know, this is how you will practice holding a handle rail. This is how you will at home. You can just rest your hand on a table, but right now you need to grab something with more of a fist. So everything transitions. Our, our furniture is aimed to be moved in and out and, of the child's life, and um, based on their skill acquisition as well. So those are most of the main components which people will be very familiar with and my passion is, you know, educational psychology. So there's so many theories behind what we do and why we believe they're effective and I think I throw out the zone of proximal development more than any teacher out there. And that was, you know, Vygotsky who said that you've got to show the child what they can do in order to then remove the facilitation so they can do it independently. So sometimes people might look at what we do and say, oh, that's way beyond the child's capability. But my belief is I'm showing them they have the potential to do that. And then once, you know, they feel comfortable, I then start to remove my guidance in order for them to learn to do it by themselves. At the same time, I'm then already looking at that next level. Okay, we've already got that. So I'm going to start try working on this. So it's like a constant ladder, which we're building on. We look at the activity theory by Leon Tev, talks about there always needs to be a subject of desire and object to help you get there, and what tools do we need, and the community and the division of the labor. So is it that you can do this and you learn to tell me this is what you can do, but you learn to ask me where I need the help? So we're working with our children for advocacy, we're working for their self-confidence as well. Mm -hmm.
2: I love that. I mean, it's really, we're believing in the kids and then they in turn believe in themselves and then progress changes and neuroplasticity happens. It's so amazing to see that, you know, regardless of what type of therapy, uh, yes, quote unquote, practicing, it's the attitude of you, you can do it, you can do more. And it's not getting stuck in that box of they'll never do this, they'll never do that based on their diagnosis. So I think that's where we really jive is like, the sky's the limit for real.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because people talk about, you know, is there any research in conductive education and it's hard to gain research because what are you researching? How do you research the social well-being of a child? And how do you, did, you know, I wish I could say I was the complete miracle worker, but I have young children who I've worked with since they were 18 months old and they're now seven. And how do I know that their personality isn't part of all of that movement programming, which I did, we can't measure that, you know, and I have other children, which I work with. And, you know, I'd like to say I taught them those specific skills. But after such a long time, and it just becoming a way of life, which is what's happening, we work with families for such a long time, where where do you where do you focus yes we can say that the physical but at the end of the day sometimes it's more about that psychological and we actually have a young boy and he has muscular dystrophy and his parents struggled to find a program for him and he joined our program about 2 years ago and they said he would never ever want to go anywhere. It was always hard to take him to any program. It was a fight. He would tell us no. And then I'll be honest, we don't particularly work with children with muscular dystrophy. We told them that we we specialize more in central nervous system injuries. And they said, we're willing to try. And the conductor, my, my colleague, she went above and beyond making it a place for him and showing him, you know, that you may be the slowest person in your school, but here you uh, you have a role and here you're showing off what brilliant attributes you do have to others. And you've got children looking up to you. And it was the first place that he's continued to go and they kept him in for two years. And so, you know, again, as I talk about just what do we measure when we talk about research, when we are looking at a child in that sense?
0: Yeah, it's hard to really quantify all of the anecdotal evidence because you do see that there is a change, but it's hard to like get that in numbers. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, just your guys' attitude of let's put confidence into this person. Let's tell this, you know, like Nancy said, let's believe in this child until they believe in themselves. And yeah, there isn't really any way to quantify that to create a study, but it doesn't mean that your work isn't successful.
3: Yeah, and like today, I've just come away from a two hour group. And I always say teaching. So I even said to you guys, I'll be free at this time, because I'm teaching group and, you know, versus um, therapy, I'm therapy and directing. So I just had two young boys, they're both seven, one, one's uh, probably level two cerebral palsy, the other level five. So two very different physical attributes. They're both verbal. And after two hours, I'm absolutely exhausted because it was all about firefighters today. And, you know, it was all about passing the firefighter initial training So one child had to walk on the rungs of a ladder up a ramp, whereas the other child walked in parallel bars over the ladder, you know, so I helped him achieve it one way. And then that child was challenged another way, but they still cheered each other on. They celebrated with each other. Don't worry, you can get that. I'll hold on to your fireman hat. And so they kept going and they were actually in a way starting to direct me with, okay, here's another great idea because remember, you're learning to get in your wheelchair. So here we go, let's take a fireman's race. And all of those things we can start to integrate with each other. And it just becomes a very playful experience, you know, it, you know, when children allow.
0: Yeah, and that's incredible. And that's why they want to come there, right? Like you spoke about that child who didn't want to go to therapy, but he wants to come there because you make it fun and you make it, you know, exciting. And it's not just that boring, mundane, kind of sterile environment. It's engaging and makes them feel wanted.
3: Yeah, I say sometimes that's what makes us a little bit different every class we have we plan and there's a lesson plan involved you know and I'm like what's the theme of today so yesterday the weather here was really nice and so the conductor planned a scavenger hunt outside and every child had one different job when they went outside they had to and again she based it on their physical Things. And so she was there an hour before she even had to teach because she was going through and printing everything off and getting it ready. So when that child leaves, the child discusses that. The child doesn't discuss the fact that they had to do 20 sit to stands or they had to walk in their walker for 25 minutes, which in some places, you know, if they put in walkers at schools, they may cry because, you know, you've just put me on my feet and you've just told me to walk. But walking's hard. Why would I do that? We don't do things which are hard. You know, we have the right to say no. And so in a way, sometimes we have to disguise. Or again, like I say, that activity theory, give reason to what we need to do.
0: Yeah. We call it playing with purpose. Yes. Make
3: it fun. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
0: So what's your favorite part about being a conductive education practitioner?
3: Well, for me right now at face, we have different groups every single day. So I love the fact that every day is different. I have my adult group and um, you know who some of them call me their second mum, you know, because they come to me for advice on many different things and you know they're not ready to discuss with their mum anymore and you know I've got kids that I have well I've been in Calgary now six years so I've known them for six years and I can guarantee I'll probably know them all until they're graduating and now FACE has an adult program maybe beyond their their graduation so um I love the fact that I can be with people and see progress over extended period of time. Unlike, you know, when, you know, I do just preschool aged five, and then you pass on to someone else, and then you pass on to someone else. I love the fact I can be with families for an extended period of time. And I love the fact it's an alternative Therapy, in the sense I don't have a governing body restricting me saying, No, you can't do this because of this. If I want to do something, the sky's the limit. You know, I report to a board of directors and I say, This is what I'd like to do. How can we make it work? And they give me the freedom to explore those opportunities, providing that the finances are there and things like that. We can continue to branch into different things. And that's what I love the most. And even during this time of the pandemic, and people being isolated from each other, you know, we have still remained connected with people. And I still talk a lot on a regular basis. And I still get to support people all of that time. And yeah, some people call me, you know, she, she, she she's our main girl that we'll ask first, you know. And so I love that. I love the fact that you come to trust people because you're with them for such a long period of time in their lives.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you make such a big impact in their life too, right? And it's good that you get to like stay with them for years and see that progress and really be a big part of their life.
3: Yeah. As I say, like I've often dreamed about moving to the mountains one day and leaving Calgary and then all of a sudden I think of those families that I've been with now for six years and, you know, I've just bought a new house in Calgary. So here I am to stay just because they're keeping me here. I want to see their progress. I want to support them. I know they're in good hands with my colleagues, but for selfish reasons, I enjoy the company of the children and the young adults in which I work and I enjoy sharing my knowledge like I say to the assistants I have at face and essentially educating um, future medical professionals who aspire to go on to help more people like the kids we work with so yeah that's what I, I just love about it
0: that's awesome Do you mind telling us
3: some of the benefits of conductive education? It's so many. It varies. I mean, with everything, I think you know the benefit of movement on the brain right so we create the movement for the child some children might need to receive that passively from our direct facilitation some people will learn to do it more actively so what i have noticed is our program typically we we tend to draw in some of these more severe cases so you know and i'm just going to use that that phrase of that level 5 cerebral palsy you know dependent on a wheelchair a lot of these children have have come to us unable to wait there and we don't say well sorry you're too big we're not gonna move you we find a way to do it and so we are still able and we try whenever possible to move the person's body and we use all of our tools and techniques to to get them moving And that's social impact. So again, I refer to the child who has like the level two type cerebral palsy in the typical school system who, you know, is never winning the race or is, you know, is sometimes tripping up and so isn't asked to carry anything or give anything out. Well, in our environment, they have a really powerful role. They're the responsible one that goes around and learns that. So, you know, we provide the physical education and the physical literacy builds up, but we also provide them the sense of power and freedom. The other thing which we are really trying to to target at face with support of speech language pathologists whenever possible is that providing a really structured program which children can communicate appropriately. You know, a lot of the children that we work with are nonverbal and they use AAC devices, but those AAC devices take a long time to navigate. So, you know, creating an environment in which they can do that. But what we also do is we teach them to learn to maybe use that device in alternative spaces. So I have one girl who I taught to use a pop book and her aide now takes that swimming with her, you know, so they're in the swimming pool and she pulls out the book, it's laminated and they can communicate there. So it's about educating and all of that. So, just creating the space to apply the skills which are being learned. I would say number one benefit of conductive education, the opportunity to move your body doesn't matter how you do it, how different it looks. We're going to give you the, the opportunity to move, doesn't matter how you need to do it. So yeah, I'd say those, the social, the physical benefits. There's a lot you know, of research into the sensory feedback that we need. So we're teaching your body in physical space. Where are you? How do you reach? How do you use your environment? How, you know, you sit, you know, feel around you? Do you feel your feet? No. Okay. So we're going to do some sensory programming of your feet. So lots of sensory and self-awareness as well of the body.
1: Mm-hmm. it sounds like a super well-rounded program that kind of encompasses really the whole child right that every possible interaction you can have it's kind of touching on
3: yeah and that's what it tends to be like some people come to us and i've we recently just took a, a girl who's 14 and dad listed off all of these things and said well you know I I need to also focus on feeding. I said, okay, you'll then send a snack and we'll integrate that. And, you know, have you tried this? Have you tried this? He's like, oh, I didn't even think you were going to give me tips on this stuff. And so again you know, you've been moving, 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 your brain is now ready to learn another skill. So that learning opportunity, you know, it has a hunger. And so yes, why not work on self care skills at the same time. And um, so again, it just provides the time we give the ideas as much as possible to our families in any area we can. So I like the, the phrase, the whole child is something that we use frequently.
1: Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about a lot of different ages. Is there anybody who's too young or too old for the conductive education program? Or are there any diagnoses that would not be a good fit for the program?
3: So our background is neuromotor. So, you know, uh, cerebral palsy, spina bifida for children, adults with Parkinson's, acquired brain injury, or multiple sclerosis. However, you know, we, we're very open to say, you know, we're willing to try. And so we have worked with families who have process because we're teaching the child how to work with their body. As I say, we have a child with muscular dystrophy and as his body has changed, we have taught him now. New ways to achieve things he was doing in the past, right? This is how you work with your body. We work with children with Rett syndrome. So we always say we're willing to try. And when we ask that question, how soon can we see results? That's always depending on the child. Sometimes, you know, maybe the way the child learns. We may not be able to to accommodate if they need more of a repetitive, more of a passive motion. But as I say, we've always been willing to try and we still give guidance to families. You know, this is what we do. This is why we try it. If you continue and you continue these methods, you should make some engagement soon. So I wouldn't say there's many, many, no, you can't work with us we don't want the child to be too young typically our preferred age would be about 18 months maybe a year to 18 months and we would start working with the parent and the child teaching them how to work with their body a lot of the time most of our families aren't receiving much of a diagnosis before that age anyway and that's when they really start to notice the milestones aren't being met so With any therapy, we always say start as early as possible, but there is never too late to start. Today, I was working with a young gentleman who's 21 years old. He has a combination of autism and cerebral palsy in all four of his limbs. And When he came to me when he was 18 years old, his parents said, look, he's got, you know, he's graduating school. He's got nowhere to go. He was extremely passive pretty much being lifted in and out he could do small stand transfers but we've had him up out walking he's now walking with canes he's now you know if I put him in the parallel bar able to walk up steps even today we explored something completely new and he was able to do it at the age of 21 and so learning never stops your brain always has capacity to start learning any, any time. We're always encouraged as adults to take on new hobbies, to get into that, that flow theory, right? That state of consciousness, thinking, you know, something that's never too easy, something that's never too hard, but something which requires you to think and pay attention to your exact movements. And um, to the point where you enjoy it. So yeah, that's a bit of a generic answer, but it's so hard to say, no, I don't want to work with anyone.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, what you're giving families is hope, right? When the system has shut them down and you've been given this very, I mean, maybe a, a severe diagnosis or maybe no diagnosis, you're you're lost and you're helping give that guidance, like you said.
3: Yeah, and the fact that we run in groups as well is always just really beneficial you know, parents love pickup time because they get to meet other parents and it's not isolating place for them. I started working with a young boy when he was 18 months old. And, you know, at the time I didn't have another child that age. So I said, okay, let's just start you and I, and I was working with mom. And then I met another mom and her son was then two. And the paths were kind of I was in a transition period with my career. And so I met one through one organization, one through another one. And I just said to them both, like, do you have another special needs mom? Let's call it that special needs mom that you connect with. And no, nobody nobody gets it. So I said, you know what? I'm sharing your phone number with somebody else. And they became best friends because they needed that. They needed to work with somebody else to see the praise and also say, yeah, this is really hard. And so it's a community in which we're creating as well, a community amongst the children and a community amongst our families as well to say, you know, I've noticed your child's doing really well. Oh, well, thanks. I've been working on it. We've been trying. And so they have those celebrations together as well, and they can learn from each other. I'm not a parent so I can't always guide them on specific information but I can always turn them to another parent who can tell them from their experience. The other thing is with the fact that we don't only work with pediatrics I can give parents hope in saying I know a child with this type of cerebral palsy very similar is now, you know, just finished a social work degree. So that is that opportunity, and just kind of giving that hope of if they, we're able to achieve this, they could learn this. I had one parent who was really frustrated as you know therapists were playing around with their child's communication system and you know asking him to take his head both side to side and then integrate this. And I said, well, well I've got a young adult who's able to communicate with just one switch by the side and. So for her, it just gave her hope, like, wow, this woman is actually able to type full essays with with that. And I'm saying, yep, yeah, she thinks just like your son. I know he knows. So giving them that connection, even of this is possible, and he will write you, you know, a letter on Mother's Day in a few years time telling you everything which he's thinking.
1: Oh, that's amazing. I love hearing stories like that. And really what we do at ReU too is it's create that community, right? So that you can support each other through that journey. Because like you, I also don't have children. So it's one of those, I can see it from an outside perspective, but the moms that are going through it with their children or the families, they're the best support systems for each other.
3: Yeah. And we've often been told, you know, I had some other families over in Toronto and I always remember vividly one, parents saying to me, you're the only guys who never guilt me into everything I try. So unfortunately, there will be therapists out there. I don't want to say therapies. I want to refer to very specific therapists who may say, you know, you should only come to me and I should be the only person that works with your child because I will achieve A, B, C. And, you know, I've heard of horror stories of poor parents crying because they've been pulled in all these directions. Some therapists say, well, if you go there, I refuse to work with you here. And that's not right. There should not be fear mongering of any sorts. Every therapy is different. So every child responds differently to different programs, right? And you have the right to try that. And, you know, it upsets me to hear that, you know, there are some professionals out there who are doing that to families because you have the right to try and you have the right to see where someone can go or where someone can take your child. Even then, those therapists, you know, they're parents themselves. And I wonder, like, how, do you, how can you say that? How can you say that to these parents who, you know, have had to come, overcome some grief and they've had to, some parents, overcome a state of PTSD You know, they, Mm -hmm. they, sometimes these children have been born in very traumatic circumstances. And so, you know, we have to work with that and we have to tell them, you know, what you're doing is, is right. And these are my reasons why I do what I do. Those are their reasons why they do what they do. And, you know, in theory, you know they should come together so you know and that's what happens when i work with families and they're like well i'm going here abigail i'm going to try this th- this therapy what do you think i say well the theory behind it is and you know when they talk about cme for example i got trained in it so cuz i so i could understand it and i could explain you know uses Distal support allows gravity to to create the reflex system to hold them up and give them that balance. So it can complement this way. And this is why we do what we do because we don't want you to become the physical walker for the child, right? You know, if you're having to assist the child all the time out of that direct therapy session, we need to support you and learn that too.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why you have been so successful in your practice. That's something we see too with these other therapists out there. Unfortunately, there's a lot of ego involved. Mm -hmm. And in this kind of business, that thing, you know, what you do and what we do, there's no room for ego, right? You have to set that aside and you have to work with the people and really support them. And if they want to try different things, then you know you can give your opinion on it and your what you think about it but up, ultimately it's it's up to them
3: absolutely and I, I, when you guys asked me to do this podcast i said gosh i'm so nervous how do- you know, and I feel like sometimes you're coming on here to sell yourself and it isn't. It's to sell our belief and our mentality. And, you know, you might not connect with me as a person, but you might really love the conductive education um, and maybe connect just more with that other conductor because she just has a different voice or she has the way she plans. Her program looks a little bit different from mine. Her speed is maybe a bit different and that's absolutely okay. We have to acknowledge that too you know in theory this works because of this but you still have right to say maybe I prefer it that way over this way as well and it's not about selling ourselves it's about selling what not I don't want to use the word selling but just explaining you know this is why this is the theory and um, black and white never what it is okay, black, you, you know, you read that on paper and say, yeah, the body should move like this. I'm sorry, it doesn't, you know, with all these traumatic injuries happening to children who were born at such early birth weights and things, you know, these conditions are coming to us so different now. And so we have to turn that finger to us and say, what do I need to change in order to help that child learn? Not what do I need the child to change in order to learn what I'm trying to teach, you know, and every therapist is a teacher. Mm -hmm. and That's because of that belief. If they're willing to say, you know, that quite didn't work. It was my fault. Let's try it this way and then recognize That it was you that needed to make the change.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. And, you know, we started this podcast just so we could share information, right? There's nobody really out there talking about neuro recovery. And, you know, we didn't start this to sell ourselves or to, you know, do any of that, but we really wanted to. That's why we bring on people like you and other practitioners and other researchers and clinicians and people with lived experience because we feel like everybody has a story to tell and you provide such a great service that we want to be able to share that information with so many other people. And so that's why we invited you on here.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you. And Yeah. Like we often hear about the wonderful things you guys are doing as well. And so even myself, I'm like, okay, so we need to connect. We need to know what you guys are doing and how it's benefiting. All right. Okay. So that's a great idea. Maybe I can fit that into my program too. And just finding those opportunities to say, wow, what a fabulous thing. And why not, why not add that to my, my, my idea of learning as well, my teaching methods and, and things like that. So, you know, I find conductive education is a great modality to work alongside so many other ideas and therapies. I know that's been a question you've asked in the past. And so, you know, that's one thing I want to say is yes, yes, I never tell anyone that, doing that is wrong.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. Do you have any advice for parents
3: that are listening? Get yourself a community. Find the community. You know, often conductive education as an organization, it's always like, what more can we do to get more kids? And I just say, they will come. They will come (laughs) We are very much. I don't need to go on the news. I don't need to, you know, we are working at capacity right now because of the word of mouth you know learn from others you know meet other parents who have similar diagnosis maybe not similar diagnosis but maybe you know just had to grieve a way you had to grieve when you had this unexpected turn in your life and you know and allow yourself to come into that out of it it's okay we embrace the children which we have And, you know, but unfortunately, it was nothing that most of us planned. So, yeah, get your community and ask others. I know um, Edmonton has a great community of parents that are together and Calgary does too and quite close knit and 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 I love the fact social media brings people together too. It's really interesting. I have families I used to work with in Toronto, but you know a young girl down in the States and families now in Calgary and they're all friends together. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I see them online, you know, sharing and praising each other's praise as well. And so they'll give you the right advice. Again, I can tell you what I do and the methods behind, but only another parent will tell you, you know, it was effective for us mm-hmm. because of the reason. And so they'll give you the, their own opinion and the truth, how it worked.
0: I think that's really good advice. That's a big part of what Ryu created as well as the community, right? Feeling support and love and acceptance. I think it's really important really for anybody, disability or not. That's important as a human being, right?
3: Yeah. And like, that's one thing about face is, you know, a lot of, so our our program runs from four to 8 PM sometimes for our older children. So they go home, they, they head straight to face. We do our movement programming. We have dinner, we have social time. Some of them love chores. So, you know, I'm teaching them how to vacuum and do laundry and things like that, because again, they, they might not be able to access that stuff. And I just say, well, their twin brother goes to basketball every Thursday night. So why can't he have somewhere to go? You know, and, uh, that's that's a big deal for them. That's, that's their friendship circle. It may look different to their sibling, but they have one.
0: That's incredible. I'm in awe of all of the great work that you guys are doing down at FACE. And I'm so glad that Calgary has your center and has your expertise in and as well as the expertise of all the other staff working there is you guys are making a big impact and changing the lives of many families. And we just have so much respect for that. So thank you for everything that you are doing. And you've shared with us some amazing stories and so much knowledge about conductive education. And I learned a lot in this session as well. So yeah, I just, you know, thank you very much for all of your information. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
3: My hope for conductive ed is that we will always grow. Um, And I hope that the government of Canada recognizes any alternative therapy. I I, I just wish these poor families weren't having to pay for so much out of pocket to access what they want. I wish everyone just had a bucket that they could just say, I want to access it this way, but that person wants to access it this way because this is what works best for my child you know and that's my hope that's my hope one day maybe we'll get there
0: yeah we'll take that maybe out you will get there and we're going to help you because we want the same thing for ryu as well and if we work together we can make things happen at a faster rate right so let's do it
3: let's do it yeah
0: (laughs) awesome well abigail thank you so much for everything we really enjoyed this and yeah just as i said before thank you for all your information and for sharing those really heartwarming stories with us.
3: Well, thank you. Thanks for having us and thanks for putting this on. It's been exciting.
0: Yeah, of course. Thank you for joining us. Okay, we'll take care, guys. Yep, you too. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. As always, we would greatly appreciate if you could subscribe, leave us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, as this helps us increase our reach. And stay tuned for another episode coming at you in two weeks.